Released on Sunday, September 24th. This Agile Life, episode 130. <laughs> Intelligent monkeys. <laughs> the software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, I'm John Sextro. I'm Lee McCauley. I'm Steve Urkel. <laughs> I'm Craig Bujak. I'm pretty sure you can't be Steve Urkel because that's like a that's like a, a trademark a, a trademark violation. Oh crap! Uh, I'm Amos King. I guess I'll give up on my dream of one day being Steve Urkel. And also, you're not nearly as good at looking as Steve Urkel. That's very <laughs> true. It's very true. So there's just a, a flaw a flaw in your logic. That could have been a show title, but now see it's too early. I'm Steve Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> Hi yeah, guys. Everybody everybody only listens to hear the title, so I know. they would just stop. That's right. Just turn it off. That's all that's really good about the show. <laughs> maybe, maybe the title should be Finn. Maybe. Finn. Maybe we should put it at the very end uh, we just say Finn. Maybe we should put the title at the end where we actually record it. Right. You're giving away all the secret sauce, so Craig, be quiet. Oh, like they can't figure that out. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, so we're back again. This is two weeks in a row. That's sort of a, a trend. We're trying to trying to Whoa. get back, <laughs> trying to get back on the good side of of life with the podcast. Craig is has been gracious enough to join us tonight. Craig, welcome back. And uh, I was I was telling Craig before we got started, our fun topic for tonight. Last last week on episode one twenty nine, we did a deep tease talking uh, about a, a hypothetical situation, and in that hypothetical situation, it was uh, overheard that a team was talking about creating stories in their backlog, and the stories that they were going to create were for automation, things like continuous integration, automating the execution of test scripts, uh, and maybe even things like automating continuous delivery, uh, et cetera. And a comment was made by someone saying, well, we can, we don't really need stories for those. And the reason we don't need stories for those is because that activity doesn't provide user value. Okay, so there's two there's two things that the person could be saying here, and I think we should talk about both of them. Uh, one is nobody they could screamed say, though. Nobody nobody screamed when I said it again. That was I was kind of disappointed. I, I, oh yeah, so, I was uh, holding back, and we've been desensitized the last eight times you've said it. I see. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but what the the listeners didn't hear is when uh, John told Craig that the first time, and Craig just busted out laughing. <laughs> it was a real. Yeah, I was like ah. It was a real maniacal laugh. So anyway, I think there's two things that the person could be saying. One, they could be saying the way we took it. Hypothetically saying. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. uh, The way we took it initially was that that we don't need to actually do automation because it doesn't provide the customer value. But I don't think that's actually what they were saying. I think that's what we should talk about. But what they were actually saying was, uh, 
we should only write stories for the things that provide customers value. But I think that it provides the customer value. It absolutely does. And so I, I think the so implication is still there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, go well, ahead. I, I think there's there's a slight argument that could be made. Like, do you have a story for doing a retrospective? Um, that's something that doesn't directly, you know, give the the customer value, but it definitely improves your speed of delivery to the customer, which so, saves them money, therefore providing exactly, them value. I mean, exactly. I can argue it's that indirect. We have a flat Earth if I throw physics out. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm I'm saying it provides value, but it's indirect value, and we don't usually, you know, do a story card for having a retrospective. So maybe I, I think the problem with that is retrospectives usually are on some sort of cadence. So, you know, you have it on every Friday or every Monday or every second, you know, Thursday or whatever. Um, but the tasks that we have for automating usually aren't on that cadence. And so we have but to keep track of what, what we're doing there. Even without cadence, I think that realized value is easier to tell from automation. Right, how much time is saved by having something automated is far easier to measure than how much better is the team doing because we have retrospectives. Yeah, so there's yeah. a realized value there. So just to make this even more fun, how about I play the role of hypothetical person that says statement, and then you guys play others on the team? Wait, this was you, John? <laughs> now now hold on a second so <laughs> you're lucky you're not sitting next to me because i would hurt you uh, is that something is honestly is that something that you think would ever come out of my mouth um sarcastically yes okay <laughs> i believe that you would say that if you were feeling sarcastic okay but but never in a serious statement. Yeah, I, I'm just going to, we're going to role play. You have a role play, <laughs> like RPG, except for, except this is RPG software. Are we going to kill trolls? Sweet. Yeah. I do that every day at work. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So if, if, if I made the statement, um, we don't need to write a story for that. And, and, and first of all, let me go back to one thing that Lee said that there's two ways you can look at this, at least at least two ways and maybe a lot more. And I agree 100% with which, what you said about this hypothetical situation. So if, uh, if in this hypothetical situation I had said, we don't need, to, we don't need a story to automate that. It doesn't, have, it doesn't provide the, the customer any value. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you guys, you guys are, are kind of gobs, gobsmacked by that. And I say... Yeah, you know, there's other ways we can we can push the software. We can just do it all manually. It doesn't take that long. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it only takes it only takes half an hour every week. Yeah. Well, and that's if the person. See, you're being gets a troll, right Craig. Time. You're being a troll now. I'm, you're trolling. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're getting slayed. <laughs> no, but that that. What's the defense uh, to what's the? It's so hard. The comeback to that statement. Um, I, I like Lee's, you know. Well, well, automation is not, in fact, automation isn't even, uh, my primary use of automation isn't even about speed. My, my, my primary use of automation is not screwing things up. Not, right. not, not doing a deploy and forgetting step 19. 
And what's a what's yeah, another what's another way to say that? Element. Remove the human element from the equation as why, much as possible. Why do we remove remove room for error? Yeah. Remove the risk. Ah, we, risk. Good one. We want we want to get repeatability. Right. So, so you just, just you're write, supposed to be you're not supposed to be saying this stuff. You're supposed to be against it. <laughs> well, let me. Well, he was waiting for us to say it, and we screwed it up. Yeah. Can you not see his hats changing, Amos? If we had automated this. We could see his hats change. Then we then we wouldn't have screwed it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but then they couldn't tell us from uh, Stephen Hawking. That's <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah the 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 point was I guess the repeatability, uh, and then that was that's a point that was one of Craig's points was you want to remove the risk, uh, you want to make it repeatable. Um, what else? What, what else? Did, what, what other words did we say? You want to um, reduce the risk of, of uh, uh, entering regressions if uh, if automated testing is part of that automation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you also have even if you do have a problem, you if it was automated, you can go in and see the steps and walk through the steps and figure out where that problem was along the way. Where if it's not automated and Craig misses step 19, because if I did it, it would be perfect. But if Craig misses step 19 out of 30, then it might be really hard to figure out where he missed and we might have to start over. Or even worse, you didn't notice it until it's been deployed for a couple of days and it's starting to affect customers. Uh, yeah. And at that point, a couple of days later, if I skip step 19, I'm blaming Craig in any way. <laughs> <laughs> What do you guys think? And nobody about, can prove it. It's not automated. I, I wonder, and I've I've seen I've actually seen this my, myself in practice. Situations where, and I I like automation, of course, but you see automation. A lot of people have automation for running tests, uh, doing continuous integration, and and local deployments or are deployments into pre-production environments and production environments. And I've run into situations where on teams uh, that they've sort of lost the knowledge about what actually has happens with the automation. Have you guys run into that? Like they, like nobody could do it manually anymore, even if they want it to, because uh, it's, it's just been automated for so long or it's been obfuscated through the, through the automation that they have no, if something broke or it stopped working or they needed to do it manually, they just wouldn't even know where to begin. Is that a yes. risk? Especially a long, um, long running projects. Where well, usually the yeah, usually the automated things are written down in a script, you know, a, a runnable script somewhere um, that you could read through those and try to figure it out. I mean, That's, usually if you're running Chef or Puppet or Ansible or something, it, it'll fail at a certain point, and you see the output of the command that failed, um, but, and then that, you go find that that file and try to fix it. I mean, hopefully, if you've so the, the thing is that the automation scripts that I notice often don't get as much attention as code when it comes to refactoring and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, two years ago, later, me looks back at the automation that two years ago me wrote and it's like, who the hell, why would you do this? I can't follow any of this. And, and so th- like, that's part of, there is an ongoing maintenance cost to automation. And, and yeah. I, uh, you know, I have had dev box setups being automated and things like that. And just every once in a while, it's like, hey, we're going to do this by hand today and step through that and see 
see if we can still do it, if that's how we still want it to happen, and look at the script as we're going and, and make modifications to it. Um, and that helps keep it fresh in people's minds. But I don't really have a regular, like an idea of a regular interval for that. It was more like just a, hey, today, let's uh, let's deploy to staging by hand. I don't normally do that to production. All right, all right <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me hit you with another statement. Ready? And you guys can give me your reactions. Well, we don't do automated deployments to production because it violates our HIPAA SOC 2 uh, uh, compliance standards. Uh, do you my, know what you're talking about? That was yeah, my basically. Time <laughs> so, I that and I talk to people and they're like, well, SOC is actually for money or something. I don't remember what SOC is for. Yeah, so, so Sarbanes-Oxley <laughs> is about accounting. Like, how did... I don't know how we got these things mixed up, but Sarbanes-Oxley is accountability for your financial statements. See, that's it, though. It has that word accountability. Somebody heard accounting and accountability, and they were like, accountability and money? We need that in our software. Lee, well, what? maybe if it's your accounting software, yeah, but that's about it. Lee, you've never heard this preposterous statement, have you? Uh, I've never heard that particular one. Um, I have heard lots of uh, lots of people say, "Oh, well, we can't use the automated process for production because they want to be sure that some uh, external entity hasn't uh, gotten something nefarious into the process, and therefore they need a human to do it." And uh, this is just a, a really dangerous kind of a thing, in my opinion. Way more dangerous so, than they're actually getting somebody nefarious putting something yeah. in the software. I mean, what you're, so what you're saying we, essentially we, is is that they trust a person more than they trust the computer to do the repeatable process. Well, that's great. Then let's put in place a repeatable process and then have a person hit a button to kick it all off. Some some places actually do it that way, but is that is that responsible party reading every line of code that got added? Is that what they're really thinking is happening? Oh that's no, all of I course think. not. Of well, that's not. what they that that's that's <laughs> the the logical conclusion you have to draw that they think that oh a person you know ran these steps so uh, yeah yeah it doesn't make any sense. You, you I, don't well, want to automate this. You're in charge of all deployments from now on. You know, this kind of reminds me of of uh, driverless cars, though. You know, they're they're safer than than driving manually. Yet the lawyers are all, you know, ready to sue because it's different. It's not what we're used to, and you know, there there's someone else we can blame, and so we can sue them. Well, so Amos mentioned having a button that you can a person can push, but I've even heard people push back on the button, push button back, push back on the button uh, and, and you, you realize we're just typing commands we're either typing 100 commands or we're typing one command or we're clicking one button or clicking 100 buttons i don't know what the difference is there and it's hard to have but any you have to click those 100 buttons in order ah yes. oh well just you know just put the buttons in a certain make it you know i have to press this button and then this button and now we're say all, now we're golden right in order oh so you want me to give you a script no no i want i want you to have to hit one button and then another button and then it'll run the automation. Because <laughs> now, now we've you know made them you know do more than one thing, so I guess it's okay. 
It's a series of buttons. I get it. Series of tubes. <laughs> okay, so that that's a that's another area that we covered. Um, so here's a here's a third uh, a third statement regarding automation. We we don't we don't automate our test cases. We don't we don't automate our regression tests. We we have somebody that runs all of the regression tests because because they they like to do exploratory testing and 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 it, we just we just don't automate the regression tests. <laughs> all right, regression let me translate tests that. Are not exploratory testing. They're not the same thing. Yeah. And all right, just, let me translate. We like speak, to make someone really. <laughs> all right, let, let me translate that statement. We like to make people really, really bored at their jobs and do the same thing every day to run through the same set of tests every day. And they're going to miss things some days because they're so bored and it's so tedious that a computer could do it. I don't care. That's what I pay them for. They should shut up and be happy they have a job. That's an argument I've heard. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> hey, we're creating jobs, right? You got to give those uh, English majors something to do. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's an English teacher. I won't tell her that you said that. <laughs> For all of the English teachers, our English uh, majors that we've just offended on the listening to the podcast. Learn another language. <laughs> Amos, Amos, go offend everyone else, would you? <laughs> give me time. Give me time. Now we okay. have to offend everybody equally. Everybody, <laughs> all non-English <laughs> teachers. But is there any advantage, perceived or otherwise, to not automating a, a good portion of your testing? Uh, so I've heard people a lot say, you know, automating like it's too hard. At this point, it's too hard. And really, I think the big problem there is that they've waited too long into the project, and they don't really know the script that well. They don't know why they're typing each command. So, so that does make it harder. So let's so let's um, step back a little bit. And there is a reason uh, we have to talk about the testing pyramid at this point, right? Of uh, you have to make sure that you're not just writing tests, especially like UI level tests that are n- notoriously brittle. Uh, and will have a a lowering re, uh, return on investment for every new test that you create. Um, uh, that I've that I found. Um, so there is this desire that I should minimize the number of functional tests that I have automated, um, as and try to cover all that same business logic and whatever in integration tests and in unit tests. All still automated, but there will always be some bit of uh, human level testing. Um, exploratory testing is a good example, but also just tests that are so freaking hard to uh, 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 to maintain that it's easier just to have a human do it uh, once every two weeks or whatever. However, often makes sense for that, and of course. The, the more often they need to do it, the more likely it is to be worth automating. So, so I, I don't think that automating means that they don't have those other jobs. And, and then automating a deployment, especially if you have some automated tests 
And so the developers have signed off on it. The QA gets a hold of it. They've signed off on it, and it gets merged into master. That can kick off uh, a full line of go ahead and run the test one more time. Hopefully, that'll get any intermittent things that might come up, and then deploy. Like So that is the, the magic button is once it's merged in. Um, and let QA hit that button if they're the last people to test it, whoever the last person to, to give the okay to let it go. I mean, really, that's what's going to happen anyway. Half the time there's a that I've seen where it's not automated. It's a deployment team and you ship that stuff out on Friday and the deployment team takes it over and they're not reading the code. They're not testing everything again. What? So I, I get that. Um, what about this idea of exploratory testing and and. Um the, the, the thought that, yeah, we don't, we're not going to automate exploratory testing. Um, well, exploratory testing is almost things that can't be automated. Um, you're basically going and trying to find new things. Um, so the, the thing is that um, automating the regression testing is what frees up your time to do that exploratory testing. That's a, that's a very good point. Uh, do you think that it, in the, in the overall flow of automation in a project. And, and if you, if you believe that, you know, we'll automate all of, all of this testing following the, the, the automation or the testing pyramid that Lee talked about. And after the, all the tests pass, then, then we'll automate a, a deployment. Where is the time in there or how do you, how do you make time in there for some of this exploratory testing or, where does it where where do you think it should happen in the process? Well, ideally you would have, you know, dedicated QA people um, that are good at usually what the, the QA folks are good at is the exploratory testing. Um, and hopefully they're also contributing to the the automated regression testing. Um, but you know, part of the, the QA process um, probably in you know just when they're doing the QA um, for a story or uh, an epic or whatever, a release, that that would be the time I would expect exploratory testing to happen at some level. I really want to know why you think quality assurance specialists are better at exploratory testing. Um. Why, I, I guess, why are some people better at programming than others? Um, it's the same sort of question. Um, experience, um, maybe some natural talent, um, enthusiasm. Um, Amos and I have run a, across a couple uh, QA folks that we would we would die to find the right job. Um, they they were sort of our sort of our favorite people we've run across. Our QA people, they are indispensable to have on your team. If they weren't yeah. doing QA, I'm pretty sure they would be mad scientists trying to figure <laughs> out all the ways that they could kill the heroes. Or or, or possibly um, hackers, you know, um, black hat hackers Absolutely. that are trying trying to break into things because that's what they're good at is breaking software. Well, and, and even the things that we've learned from people who are really good at exploratory testing, I think, have been applied to, um, to re regression and automatic testing, things like that, too, because uh, like 
property-based testing. A lot of that is exploratory testing. If you're having semi-random inputs coming in and you can say semi-random inputs that are a bunch of numbers and then some that are a bunch of letters, now you have a semi-exploratory testing system that's going to do something similar to what the the QA would do if they're a good QA, and then they can expand upon that even. Well, that's a good point, the property-based testing or generative testing. Um, but that's usually more at the unit level. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything happen that at the uh, at the integration level or at the end-to-end level um, because usually what the exploratory testing that the QA folks are doing is sort of running through you know, menu items in a different order. Um, so I, I guess we could automate that, but I've never seen anyone get to that level of sophistication yet. Not, not directly. I mean, there are, there are monkey tests, but that doesn't really count. Mm. So you don't think, you don't think that, uh, what is the thing that Netflix has? It's called something like that. Chaos monkey. Yeah. That doesn't really count for exploratory testing. It, oh, well, it's kind of exploratory, right? Like it, you're it's kind of, that's why I mentioned it, but I, yeah, I think you're exploring at a different level and it's a good level that we were missing because most of the QA people aren't like, all right, now shut down the database and let's see what happens. You know, but, but with chaos monkey, you're adding that extra level of exploration. The thing that has always um, stuck, stuck in my craw about the term exploratory testing is that it sounds non-deterministic. I would say that's probably true for the most part. I, to me, it's more finding unexpected things happening when you, when you go through, you know, almost random steps. A good QA keeps track of the steps that they're going through when they are doing exploratory testing and they don't give you the, they might tell you about the error, but they really don't, come back to you a lot. They may say, Hey, I found a problem. Let me figure out how to reproduce it. And then they give you those reproducible steps that they should have been keeping track of all along. Don't you think that it, this should be a solvable problem via automation? So yeah. here's, a, here's an example for you, John, that happened just this last week. We did some, uh, uh, some group testing on a product that we were just about to release. And one of our people uh, found that on a screen that should not that, that was not editable at all, someone could actually get into a situation where they could start editing the title on this iPad app, and suddenly the whole thing breaks. And there is no way anybody would have ever thought to try that from an automation perspective. That no one would have ever would have ever bothered to try to to put in this the steps to do that. So I I think there's a few problems involved here. Actually, one let's say you've got a hundred buttons on the screen, and each could be in only two states. So what's that? Two to the hundredth. So that's that's a lot of possibilities, even for a computer at that point. So I think the 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 human tester kind of has some ideas on which combinations to try that is probably going to be better than what a computer can do right now. Um, well, just trying so you, all two to two the one hundred steps. I think you caught now, yourself. Hold on, Craig I, or Amos. All right. I, I think I think Craig, you caught yourself falling into a trap there. In that. Well, hang on. Because because the reason I say that is because. 
the computer is infinitely faster than a human in terms of, <laughs> you know, sussing out these various combinations. Well, except that the human has a strategy and you set a computer generally just to try all two to the 100th combinations. Um, so I don't think the computer is generally smart enough unless you add some things. And we haven't even gotten to the, you know, to this level of testing in the first place yet, much less to, to get it sophisticated enough to be faster than a human. But here's the other thing. What 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 an error is is not well defined when you're doing exploratory testing. And I mean, if it crashes and gives you you know a 500 error on a website, sure that that we know is an error. But when it gives you a two when you expected a three, you know the computer isn't going to know that for all you know two to the one hundredth possibilities, whereas a human will. Or, or you're going to have to have a human, you know, type in the, what the results should be for all two to the 100th, and that's not going to happen either. Okay. Can we, can we apply property-based testing to the integration level and say, let's say you're doing a website, because eh, that's what half the time I end up doing. It's easy to talk about. And you say, well, if you, like after a certain step, this should always hold true. And then you can have it do the steps in any order and let it let it generate some random things and just and it's not going to hit everything all the time, but let it do like 50 iterations of generating random steps and checking at each step. Like after this step, this property should always hold true. And that can get you a lot. Yeah, I, I think that I think that is probably the future of automated testing is to to move those property-based things up you know the the levels of the testing pyramid but we i i've rarely seen teams that are doing it at the unit testing level so you know this is a long ways off but does that make it right or okay well i don't i don't think we can <laughs> skip to perfect developers or, or qa no. people you know, I don't. Nobody can skip them. And, and keep in mind, there's also the the return on investment calculation here too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, that that yeah, it possibly could be automated. That doesn't mean that it's going to be the most cost effective at the moment to be to have it be automated, depending on what the test is. Right. That's but any kind of why we're still humans doing this. But anything that we can automate frees up those humans to push the envelope further as long as as long as the automation of and this only really applies to tests i think anything else outside of the test arena your statement holds absolutely um but within the test arena i do think there is a a balance that we have to take into account when it comes to the time uh, necessary to not just write the tests, but to maintain them. And again, for most integration tests and unit tests, that maintenance uh, cost is practically nil. But once you get past that, you have a maintenance cost. Yeah, anything that would go into the UI world, there's certainly the the, the brittle factor and, and the fragility factor that goes in there. But I, I'd like to see us evolve in a way that we do get we do get more. Um, we try to get smarter about the, some of this, not necessarily well smarter in terms of the approach to it. So you, you're saying it takes more time to do write the automation to do to do some of this exploratory testing. But what if you were like 
writing a tool that was that actually did did a number of the did some of this automation it did some of the testing in an automated fashion where it sort of it, it would look at a screen and and consume like information from that screen or look screen or look at an API and consume information about that API and sort of do a chaos monkey sort of thing on it where it's like boundary checking and and some of those things i mean I, I, where where is the library for something like this where i can point point a, an automated test like this at an api or something and it does you know zillions of combinations of boundary and and exploratory types of tests against the thing yeah the, the tooling's not there yet i i know there are a few I know there's at least one for APIs now. I don't remember the name of it, but I, I do remember seeing one. I, I don't think there's one for UIs, though. I, there is a tool called GraphQL for building your own APIs, and I could see you being able to use that to build requests, possibly, in, I don't know, or something similar to it. Mm-hmm that could allow you to have this automation. Like if you could build a request and say, here's the four things that we can pass in as keys and here's their value ranges until it go. And it could post to a URL 50 times with different things and maybe even swap out some keys just to see that it does have failure cases too. And so you could get that to work. Yeah. Do you, Craig, do you have a rule of thumb? I'm guessing you probably have a rule of thumb about how many times you do something before you decide to automate it. Um, my rule of thumb is usually three. Um, but it, uh, like Lee says, it, it depends on the cost of, of automating it too. Mine's that, usually the second time. Yeah. Sometimes I'm two, but, uh, you know, if it's code, then I, I'm probably closer to two. And if it's uh, system config, I'm probably closer to three. But half the time, I I could have done it on one almost as fast as I figured it out the first time on one. Should the same? Like if I just had shell script or something and just typed some stuff in that I thought it was going to be, got my thoughts in order, and then ran it, or did a recording of my shell and then pulled out all the commands and threw them into a shell script and said, I'm done. Do you think the same same should be yeah. true for testing? So the the third time you run run the same test, should you automate it? Um, I, I think that's too hard a question to to answer just because of the costs um, what? are going to vary vary so much. And 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 to to Amos example, you know, I I've been trying to automate um, configuring my Mac so that, you know, if I get a new Mac, I can just run an Ansible script, but, you know, configuring this thing in a GUI, uh, there's, there's not a tool to do that. Um, so I have to go find the, you know, basically the, the config files for each program and figure out how to make the changes, um, to those config files. And that, that is very time consuming. Let me tell you, I, I am, you know, I've I've done it on my third Mac, and it's it's really not worth my time. It's not worth someone <laughs> to pay me for. I'll tell you that much. So, I I don't know. That's funny, but like I I feel like if you could automate the setup and everybody at your company wanted the same, it might be worth your time, depending on the size of your company. Yeah. Um, 
but but when you I want to go back to like I automated on the second or third time and I feel like you know we we talk a lot about TV and writing tests to drive out your software and I feel like this automation is the same kind of thing so should we write our software two or three times before we put tests around it like I I feel it's related I know that that's like a loaded question and it's pushing yeah. some buttons but but it it feels kind of the same way to me like automating our deployment is a form of testing our our deployment process it's making sure that our deployment process is in a repeatable and workable state and that it it works every time so if we start it out that way and we work with that in mind that our goal is to have this automated at the end of the first time we deploy it then we have that repeatable process in place and it, it should protect us the same way that our test driven development protects us. Well, there there's, there's a process for automating processes, you know, which is basically to do it manually record what you're doing. And then the next step is to use that, you know, recorded human driven script to do it, make sure that that's right. Um, and usually they, you know, that step you find a lot of things that aren't right. And then you automate that. But this is the same argument that I hear about why we don't do TDD. It's because we write it and then we can go and we recorded everything that needs to happen. And now we can now we can make it happen. We can make sure that it continues to happen that way because we've already done it. I'm I'm not following your so we're uh, unfortunately we're imperfect when we I, record I what we did. Right. I can write the test after because I already know what the code does. I wrote the code to do that. So what you're saying is record it. So I've already written it and now go automate it, which is the same as I've written the code. Now go test it. And the I, same arguments apply is that it's easier for me to test after I've already done it. It's easier for me to automate after I've done it. No, I, I don't. Can we think automate I, as we go? I, I have a secret for you, Amos. I don't always test first because I don't always know what I need yet. I then don't you know should what throw my it API away. is. Then you should throw it away and start over after your spike. That that's fine, but I still actually did the manual steps first, didn't I? I, I yeah, and I think that sometimes you're there, but it seems that we always go there with automation, and frequently a lot of the steps are the same as the last project we were on. I, I I'll go back to to Lee's answer: cost. Okay, <laughs> you know if it's going to cost you four times as much to automate it. The, the first time then then to do it you know a month in then then don't do that well when i first started writing tests it cost me a whole lot more to write them first because i had to think so much and it hurt my head so if we practice did, did, automating first maybe after a while we'll, we'll practice, start to save money on, automating practice on your own time i do well i guess you should start practice automating then <laughs> here's here's a deep question for you do you do you really write tests first in order to create automated unit tests for your application solely is that the sole purpose not the sole purpose it's a nice side effect i i, I uh, there, there there's actually also test first automation um something called server spec and i've kind of wanted to use it but it feels a little redundant when you're actually just describing what you want with with Ansible. Um, so I, I haven't found a, a place where it's valuable yet. So there, there's 
a lot of, well, there's other reasons to create tests first. And it just, as a byproduct of that, it so happens that they, these end up being things that are automated that we, we benefit from because we can do more things like refactoring. It does make code easier to maintain. It makes the code easier, easier to test ultimately because we've started with the tests. So there's a lot. So I think that there's, there's not as much equivalency here as Amos leads us to believe. I think his, his logic is a little flawed. I, I, I don't know. I think that there's, there's a little bit of both. Like, Craig talks about Ansible and it builds a system. Could you write a series of tests that says when my system's complete, these are the things that sh- it should have. Yeah. And a set of properties that you can check after a system's done and I, then go write the code to do it. We, we've caught Amos in a false equivalency trap. <laughs> I'm not saying they're exactly the same, but I, I think that there are, are, some corollaries that go with both of them. I think that one is a is a decent metaphor for the other. So so to sort of try and wrap this all up into a pretty bow, I liked what I liked what um, Craig said with his rule of thumb two or three times. Amos said two times because he always has to one up Craig. I think <laughs> Craig always says, like smaller numbers than I do. Yeah, that's better. I, Craig does it in three. I can name that tune in tune in two. <laughs> I can pair switch in half an hour. Right. <laughs> That's right, Craig. <laughs> so the, the, you guys generally accept that that's like a rule of thumb for when to automate. Do we, did we get to an answer of where is there value in automating things, deployments, integration testing? Is that, is there real, is there real value there? I guess that's really the crux of the crux of this question. Is is there value to a to the to the owners of the software? Ultimately, the owners of the software, or the people that are paying for the development. So, to John, I'm, down, a, I'm, a, I'm an engineer and a consultant, so I'm going to say maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll break it down, uh, and I think simple simple versions, which is that uh, if you want your developers and your QA to be focused on the most important and most valuable thing at any one time, then you build in automation of deployments and tests and anything you can so that you can keep them focused on the most valuable things, not doing things that uh, that an intelligent monkey can do. This week's hottest picks. Greg, what do you have for us for your picks? Um, I've got two picks. One is Ansible. Um, as I was saying, I use it to configure, uh, to basically install and configure all the software on my Mac as much as I can to automate that. Um, uh, especially, you know, I, I try to wipe my computer clean and reinstall the operating system fresh every year. Um, there's a new OS release coming out in a couple weeks. So I'm hoping to do that on one of my computers and wipe it fresh and, uh, get, fresh software installed and configured. And um, so I just started a job a couple of weeks ago and I was able to take some of that already and, uh, you know, have my computer configured the way I like uh, quicker than I otherwise would have. So uh, my preferred tool for that is Ansible. I use it for Mac OS uh, laptop and I also use it for 
um, server builds for uh, basically a small web server to run some mostly sat- static sites. Um, Puppet and Chef are acceptable. I, I prefer Ansible, though. Uh, my second uh, Craig, before pick you, is something before called... you go on. Uh, uh-huh. th- I'm not I'm not sure if you've done this or not, but is this like on your public GitHub account where others could go uh, and get this? Or yep, yep, I've got some things up there. Great, I can I can post links in the in the show notes for that. Um, and and people have at least stolen things from that, if not outright, you know, copied over the whole repo. Yeah, I mean, I think that this um, is sort of a big, uh, big area nowadays. It seems like everybody's trying to, to do do similar things with dot files and and yeah, I've, I've got one of those too. Yep. Um, so my second uh, pick is something called approval testing, um, and I can never remember the word because I always get acceptance testing and approval testing mixed up. So acceptance testing are. Um, you know, automated test that uh, the customer has accepted that this works as expected. Approval testing is sort of, um, it keeps a, a golden master. Uh, and it's good for sort of visual things. Um, so let's say you've got a, uh, a test that your uh, web page generates um, a graph the right way, given the, the, the right data. Um, but let's say that your graphing software changes a little bit and things are off by a few pixels or something. Um, with approval testing, it actually shows you, it says, okay, I had recorded that the image should look like this, but now it looks like this. Is that okay? Basically, it's asking for manual approval, um, but only if things have changed. Uh, and I think that's a, a valuable testing tool or, or testing technique in some situations. Yeah, I will... I will point out that if uh, if I believe a long time ago we we either talked about this or spoke with Llewellyn Falco, who is the originator of approval testing, I think, or at least a tool. That the goes, namer. He's the namer. Uh, mm. And there's a there's a back episode where I think we talk about approval tests. So I'll find that and stick that in the cool. show notes too. Great, good picks, Craig. Okay, let's see. Who's next? Amos? Oh, I thought it was Lee, but I'll go. All right, sounds good. Um, So I started out tonight with one pick, but as Craig talked, I decided to jump in with a bunch of others. Um, Time out, because you already had nerves last week, so you can't have that again this week. uh, Oh, I had it last week? Well, then we'll get rid of it. That's fine. Where's where's Tice when we need him to assert authority and, 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 and corral your picks? If we had a good historian, apparently we do, because you remembered. So that's perfect. Um, uh, the so internet Moon is our historian. The internet is? Did you go look? No, I did remember. Oh, okay. Um, so my first pick is uh, Moon Monkey, and it's a ginger beer from St. Louis's Urban Chestnut Brewery. Um, it's really good. Uh, even if you are not a fan of ginger, it's a, like really, really light flavored ginger. Um, I told somebody tonight that it would go really well with, uh, some pot stickers. Um, so moon monkey and pot stickers, I guess. Uh, and then my second choice was, you know, we've talked a lot about testing and automation and I, and property based testing. So there's a library for Elixir called Quixir, Q U I X I R. It's written by Dave Thomas. Um, it hasn't been updated since July, but it works really well. Um, and it's a just a pretty easy property testing library li- written purely in Elixir. Nice. 
So I'll remind you not to pick that next week for the show then. Thanks. Sick burn. All right, Lee. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've got a couple of, uh, of picks here. I mentioned uh, during the show the testing pyramid. So I went out and pulled out uh, Martin Fowler's uh, a blog post about the testing pyramid. So uh, that's linked uh, in case you want to see more information about that. Uh, and the other one is about uh, automating of performance testing, which is we used artillery uh, really well. Uh, if you really want to pound something into the ground, use artillery. Um, so it's a, it's a great little performance testing tool uh, that you can find out there. And I could put a link in the show notes as well artillery.io so is this uh is this sort of like a low orbit ion cannon sort of uh <laughs> have you ever heard of low orbit ion cannon it's like a ddosing uh, a gray hat ddos tool i have not heard of that that sounds cool i just <sighs> like the name i know right that's uh, i just like saying it because it sounds cool so uh, uh, that'll be one of my <laughs> picks then low orbit nobody use it against me though low orbit ion cannon yeah, it's out on SourceForge.net. Remember Source, SourceForge? I was oh, going to ask Source if that's still a thing. Yeah. All right, uh, I'll put a I'll put a link for Low Orbit Ion Cannon into the show notes. I have one more link, uh, one more pick, I guess actually, uh, and it's it's an XKCD twelve oh five ah twelve oh five. Actually, I didn't when I when I first <laughs> saw this one uh, or when I saw this previously, which I saw this maybe four or five. Years ago, it feels like um, it. I didn't know it was from XKCD. I, you know, I thought this was like some something that 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 some engineering student or something did. But it's this nice little matrix where they lay out, you know, how long it, you how how long you should uh, you should do a thing before you take the time to actually automate it or or uh, make it more efficient. And it, it's interesting, especially in the context of our discussion about automation today. And uh, thank you to friend of the show, Don Peters, for linking that to me uh, earlier this week in our, in our Slack. So that, that is very topical. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> how about that? All right. Now, deep tease for the next episode. Dun, 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 dun. This is a new, new segment where I do deep teases. And Amos really likes, likes the, the title of this, this particular segment. So next week's <laughs> dun, dun, dun. the deep tease for next week. Lee came up with this. Lee stopped by my, my desk the other day. We were chit-chatting and he's like, what do you think of this idea? And I'm not going to say much about it, Lee. So you'll have to come back next week to give, to give the whole dissertate, your whole dissertation about this. But the topic is the, this concept of what if you could create a save point in your project? Now, I think that there's lots of technical ways to do it, but what Lee and I were discussing was like, ways to do it for things that are that are not code related so deep tease no talking about it any further we'll come back to it next week episode 131 this agile life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community